Salams, everyone. Welcome to the Sins and Salams podcast, where we are going to share our thoughts and experiences on growing up in the Muslim community through funny yet serious stories and topics. We are so excited to finally release these episodes, and we really want to hear from you. Please follow and share your thoughts with us on Instagram at Sins and Salams, and you can also email us at sinsandsalams at gmail.com or leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening from. Please don't forget to turn on the notification bell as we release new episodes every Friday. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of Sins and Salams. You know, it is my uh, my bad for the, us not having an episode for the past two weeks, but here we are with a great topic. Um, this is actually a topic I think that pertains to a lot of women in our community, and we have two people here that can really give us great insights. So today we're going to be talking about motherhood um, and just you know, things that we thought we knew, things that we learned, the way we had to reflect on ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, you have me, Sabrine, Dr. Ferdos, and our special guest, if she would like to introduce herself. Assalamualaikum, peace and love, everybody. My name is Sophia Mustafa. I am an entrepreneur. I am a melanated American. Okay. Hey. <laughs> I was born and raised Muslim. So I am an American born and raised Muslim. That's important for me to say. Yeah. Um, and I am a mother of two, two little humans. Oh. What are their age ranges just for the context of this conversation? Daughters to be exact. So I have an 18 year old and an eight year old. Okay. I'm crazy. Don't do that. <laughs> having two daughters with a gap two daughters with a huge gap right <laughs> the two daughters thing is okay the gap is the problem <laughs> so just starting off you know prior to you guys being a mother what were some thoughts or ideas or beliefs you had about motherhood that later turned out to be true or untrue Um. so I guess I'll start I'm for me, I believe that mothering, you don't have to be a natural mother, meaning you don't have to have bore children in order to be a mother figure or to be motherly. Let me say that. So I feel like I was mothering children way before I had children of my own. Um, I, I was very um, close-knit with the community that I was raised in, mm-hmm. and so you know, working at this, well, going, attending the school, the Muslim school, working at the school, working at the masjid, I was always around kids, and I don't know what it is, because I thought I would never have children, but the kids always flocked to uh, to me. I used to actually work in a daycare before, and I feel like um, they've always been around. They've always kind of attached themselves to me, like now I'm the cool auntie and the cool mom. <laughs> this is my, my my children's own admission. Thank you very much. So <laughs> I take pride in that. <laughs> As you should. Yes. Um, but I've always had the, I've always taken the standpoint that I wanted to be the type of person for the people, not just females but males as well, um, that I needed when I was however old. So growing up, I felt like I didn't really have like a mentor or a big sister or someone who could relate to me or even if they couldn't necessarily relate kind of try to lower their wing or meet me where I was at so it was really important for me is really important for me 
that I do that in my life. And so I think that might be where some of that attraction lies. So would would you say then prior to motherhood, you were, like you said, you didn't think you were going to be a mother. And then, so is this how you expected to be as a mother? Like what were some things that you put into practice, I guess, that made that come true? So I'm, uh, out of my peer group, um, I started having kids after everybody else. Um, so that probably was like one of the reasons why I didn't, I don't know. And then, and then I have an auntie who never had children. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll probably just be like her. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have much expectation, um, on motherhood. I always took the standpoint that, like, if a law, whatever the decree was, I accepted. So mm-hmm. if a law blessed me to be a mother, that's cool. If I never had kids, I was cool with that too. Um, but I know one prayer that I, that I used to make while I was pregnant when I, when I, you know, found out that I was pregnant for the first time was that I take the good from all of my experiences as, and my parents and, and don't take none of the bad. Cause I'm like, you know, you got your own flaws. You don't want to be adapting bad practices that you just learned <laughs> as well. So that was like really, really, um, big to me. And then I also had anxiety. So I think that's one thing that people don't, um, talk about or acknowledge, um, the weight of the responsibility of caring for a, a human being was heavy for me and also the amana of being in charge of this person's being even now mm. to this day sometimes like i lose sleep and mm. i know i knew i didn't want to have like a boatload of children for that reason because i was like what if i'm not good at it what if i fail like yeah there's a lot of what ifs and and uncertainty so i had a lot of anxiety about being a, a parent for those who want to chime in with with your experience about any misconceptions you might have had prior to being a mother and then like who you are now i guess <laughs> i was saying that like i agree with what sophia was saying more so for me i just like went with the flow so for me it was kind of like if it was meant for me to be a mother cool if not i was still cool with it um I know like prior like especially within like the Arab culture as soon as you get married everybody's like when are you going to have a kid and so like they put that pressure on like okay hurry up like put the kid on kind of a thing um so I know for me when I found out that I was pregnant it just goes back to there's like a lot of uncertainties mm-hmm. um and I, I feel like nothing can prepare you for being a parent like you can read all the books in the world you can talk to multiple people every experience with each child is going to be different. So that's how I felt. I was just, I literally was just winging it. I know that sounds kind of probably bad, but I was going with the flow. Let me tell you something. I think that just camel backing, because you know we don't eat pig. (laughs) Camel backing off of Dr. Fofo. Um, (laughs) One thing women do do that, that men don't do, is we do ask, like, we, we tend to reach into our um, network. Mm-hmm. We do tend to ask questions. We do tend to seek help for the things that we don't know and for whatever we need, um, which is a great thing. Um, but for me, so for me, my children came after my mother had passed. So I've been a motherless child for longer than I have been mothered at this point in my life. So mm-hmm. it was really awkward for me because you know every time and not just with children but just having lost a parent it's like 
every time you need them, you know, you miss them more. It's like when the important things happen. So when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I can't ask my mom no questions. So I relied heavily on my sister. My dad, he, he definitely stepped it up. I'll say he, he tried his best to step it up. Um, but you know, a lot of things he couldn't remember because oftentimes women do more of the mother, the nurturing. I'll say mm. what helped me, which was kind of like a Bible, bro. Like, I'm going to be honest. When I say, when I read this book, uh, what to expect when you're expecting, it hit on every cylinder, like literally down to the, the timeline of things for me. Um, you know, when I was breastfeeding, I'm like, okay, nobody told me I was going to look like Pamela Anderson. For y'all that don't know that, she had like <laughs> huge fake boobs, okay? She had huge fake boobs. When my milk came in, I could have fed a small village, okay? And it was painful. Nobody told me it was going to be painful. And I'm like, how long is it going to feel like my child is sucking the life out of my body? Mm. And the book was like, oh, about two weeks, maybe some people three. And literally to the 14th day, I remember she latched on and I was like, oh, it don't hurt no more. <laughs> so it, that was a great resource for me. Um, but yeah, I think it's important for for women to just kind of band together in those types of moments where only we can relate or only we have the actual experience. You know, this actually, as someone who is single and ready to mingle, this reminds me of a lot of conversations on TikTok and social media where mm-hmm. there's a lot of fear right now. I feel like with my generation and younger of pregnancy and being a mom in parenthood, I'm also subscribed to this fear because of, you know, we hear stories like that with like it being so painful and like people are feeling un- underprepared. Like, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Do you feel like um, it's good that people know all this information like right off the boat to make that decision? Or do you think it's a little over exaggerated? What do y'all think? I personally feel that regardless of the situation, you're going to get the information regardless of it whether you want to hear it or not you know what I mean it could be from your in-laws it can be from whoever I personally feel like people should know like I know for like a lot of single sisters they were asking me like hey we heard that um like when you're in labor it's super painful it literally just depends on your body are you a person that your body you know like I was mentally checked out when I'm talking about I was mentally checked out I was thinking about food the whole time I was not even like in the the, the like I well like I'm like being dead serious. I wasn't even feeling nothing. I was like, listen, I'm trying to get her out, evacuate so I can eat. So I wasn't even like mentally there with it. Um so I just personally feel like it's better to know stuff so then when you are there in labor or when you are pregnant, you're like, Oh, okay, this happened. I also feel like you should know, especially for sisters that were um is it like circumcised in like a lot of um villages back home? So a lot of them know that you it is very crucial that you're supposed to tell your OBGYN that you had that procedure done because you can bleed to death. And I had a friend that went through a circumstance like that and she was like, dang, I didn't even know. And now she can't have like vaginal births no more. So I just feel like the more that, you know, it's really not going to hurt you in a sense like that. Um, they're just like, just use it. Like FGM. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
And I just feel like a lot of a lot of girls, like, for example, in my friend's situation, she literally didn't even know that she had it done as a child. Um, And it was more so like when her mom, when they were in the emergency room and she was she literally was bleeding to death. And then her doctor came in. She was like, wait, what? What country are you from? And then she asked and she was like, no, not that I know of. And then her mom was like, yeah her grandmother get, like had her had it done to her mm-hmm. so just like she was trauma she was like wait what you see what i'm saying yeah mm-hmm. and it, it just like it made the situation for her horrible and now she's like i don't even want to get pregnant again mm, the trauma so i'm i'll say um prior preparation prevents poor performance you should always do your research mm-hmm. the more you know it's just better for you and that's just with anything um, I think that it's absolutely should be a requirement for women to know about their bodies, to know about relationships, to know about children. You shouldn't go into anything blindly if you can help it. Um, so you should absolutely want to know. Um, you should seek that out, but it should also be um, transmitted to you, meaning an elder um, should take the time to give you gems and tips and tricks, you know, um, I feel like that is uh shout out to Village Auntie. She does a foundational womanhood and everyone should take this. I'm 41 and I took her foundational womanhood class. You would think at I took it a couple years back. So you would think at 39, you know how to be a woman. Um, no one knows everything and there and you can absolutely benefit. And I know me having lost my mom at the age of 20. It just I felt like it was necessary. Having taken it now, I feel like it's necessary for anybody. Because you can just definitely, you can absolutely benefit from seasoned women, okay, the elders. Now, having said that, like Fredol said, every situation is going to be different. Um, but I don't think that you should approach it with fear. So fear is a tool of shaitan. Fear holds people back. Fear stops you from living your best life. That's how I feel about fear. I feel like if it was that bad, nobody would be having sex. Okay. Uh, motherhood, childbirth has not stopped anybody from having sex. It has not stopped anybody from having children, right? Um, per se. We're not talking about like special situations like Fredosa saying where, you know, you, there's been trauma or damage to your body. Um, but again, everybody's experience is different. So, you know, I, I know myself, I know my body. I have a very high pain tolerance. I still didn't. I didn't want to take a chance. I said, "Which of the favors of my Lord will you deny? Give me that epidural." <laughs> now they gave me the epidural. <laughs> they gave me the epidural, and it only the first time my first child. It only worked on the right side of my body, so I could literally feel contractions and all that kind of stuff on the left side of my body. It was fine. Me and my dad was in there cracking jokes. The nurse was looking at us like, "Can you feel that?" Because the only reason she knew was because every time I would have a contraction, I had to stop talking. And so she was paying attention, which kudos to her. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. And I was like, no, it's fine. It took the edge off enough. I was able to do what I needed to do, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say, though, that is very, very important, and this is why you need to educate yourself, is because you are your biggest advocate. Mm-hmm. you need to have a plan you need to have an idea of how you want it to go and what you want it to do what how you want it to be 
Um, let me tell you that in this country, the medical system abuses melanated women like how the cops kill black men. Yep. And so they will, they have this idea that black and brown women can withstand pain. So they won't give you yep. pain. They don't give you the same kind of treatment. If you have a birth plan, you need to stick to it and you need to, you need to stand up for yourself. And if you can't, because of course you're, you're bringing the human into the world, your partner, your parent, yep. your sibling, whoever is with you needs to be on the same page as you. Yeah. I'll give you an example. With my with my eight year old. You know, I had a plan, I had an idea for what I wanted to do, and I just know my body. So they gave me the epidural, and again, like the last time, I it took ish, I'll say it took ish, because <laughs> I could still feel my contractions. I could literally get up and walk across the room if I wanted to. And it's supposed to be a nerve blocker, so you're not your legs are like dead, like numb. You're not supposed to be able to walk, right? So the nurse who she said, I've been a nurse for 30 years and I've never seen anything like this. I said, okay, good for you. I know my body. So she kept asking me if I wanted extra medicine. I was like, no, I'm fine. She was like, you've been in labor for a while. Your body's going to be tired. I was like, I'm good. Sis snuck and gave me some Tylenol with codeine through my IV. So I felt it go in when she gave it to me. So as soon as she gave it to me, I said, what is that? And she was like, you felt that? And I was like, 1,000%. Quit being sneaky. You're going to lose your job. Like, And don't charge me for that because I didn't ask for it. She's like, crazy. oh, well, I just thought that you needed some extra help. You've been you know, in pain for some hours and your body's tired. I was like, I'll tell you what my body is. And I didn't ask for this. Like, It, it literally wore off in, in 20 minutes. It, it felt like a high. Uh, I would just say it was like a little zing, and then it was over, right? And she was like, oh, my gosh, she was like, you know what? You're right. I'm not I will not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to charge you for it. I should have asked you, blah, 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 right? So it was a whole bunch of apologizing when she when she was caught. Um, the other thing, though, that they did um, that I had to be really stern about, well, two things. Um, when it was time to push, they do this thing where they want you to push three times, take a break. But I felt like. I was getting momentum by the third push and I wanted to push more. So the nurse is like, and then they do this thing where they want you to lift your legs. You're laying on your back. I'm like, this goes against gravity. It just doesn't make much sense. Mm. So I was like, I need to sit up some and I want to push more. And so the doctor was like, do what you feel. He was literally like, do what you, and he, it was a he, he was literally like, do what you feel. Mm. So the nurse didn't like that, but who cares? Like you could tell she felt a little clipped because you know, she's telling me, push, 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 and then take a break. But if you're having the contraction and your contraction lasts longer than three pushes, ride the wave, bro. Allah yeah. created these things for a reason. Like, your body will react in the way that it's supposed to naturally, and all you have to do is literally tap in. So yeah. doing it her way, we were like 20 minutes in, and yes, I was getting tired. Doing it my way, it took three pushes, and like three times doing it, like four or five reps. So three intervals of contractions, right? But pushing like four or five times. And that was only like maybe like a 10-minute span. She was out. So you you really have to not be afraid to speak up, not be afraid to piss nobody off. This is your body. This is your child. 
the last thing I'll say on this on that part is that I told him I was like, my my baby ain't leaving this room. I don't mm-hmm. care that they have a little strap on a my baby. She has no reason to leave this room, and if she does need to leave for some reason, her father's gonna go with her. Yeah. But at, at no point is this baby's need to be separated from the people who are in charge and responsible for her. There's no reason. And they'll they'll give you a little pushback. Oh, you need rest, or oh, you know, no, I'm fine. Leave my child in here in the bassinet. And so. My room had a sink. They're like, oh, she needs a bath. She doesn't. She can get a bath when she goes home. We're only here for two days. Like, <laughs> don't tell them. Don't let them tell you what your child what needs. Yep. Allah gave you that child. So nobody knows better than a child's parents what they need. Yep. Sorry, I went on a little tangent there. No. So, good. I was, I was into that. Especially when you're in that. As soon as you walk into that room and they start putting the IV I don't know what it is about nurses or whatever. Everyone and their mother wants to come in there and be like, oh, after the kid is out, get this vitamin or do this or do that. No, leave me alone. And on top of that, I feel like you not only you need to advocate for yourself, you also have the right to, if you don't like a nurse or a doctor, you can tell them like, hey, I don't like this person. Give me somebody else new. And if they're in their feelings, sounds like a personal problem. Yep. So now that y'all's kids are are growing a little bit, I guess what do you guys think of the biggest lesson is that motherhood has taught you so far? Ooh. I feel like there's a lesson every day. That's how I feel. <laughs> honestly. That's something I worry yeah. about when having kids. I'm just like, dang, I feel like I'm going to take everything personally. So I'll <laughs> say my biggest lesson is that parents are not perfect. I did not learn that until I had my own kids. I I held my parents to a very rigid standard, and I was mad. I'm gonna be honest for some time because I was like, "How y'all just gonna mess up my life?" Not that they messed up my life, but you know, this is kid yeah. talk, right? So the thing about kids that you gotta understand is that they're wonderful, beautiful buttholes. Okay. <laughs> They may be super duper intelligent, but they don't have wisdom. And so when they think from a child's intellect, and they don't have wisdom or experience to be able to properly assess things. So you have to not be so sensitive. That's number one. But number two, I believe you should 1000% be open, honest, and communicative with your children. Like I let my kids know all the time. Mom is a a human being just like you. Just like you make mistakes, mom makes mistakes. You can't expect that I'm going to get it right every single time when you don't. Mm -hmm. I'm a human being just like you are. And there is no real blueprint on how to raise a kid. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has their own idea. Everybody has their own experience. I said, so we're, it's literally on the job training. Yep. Do you feel like because you've explained that with your kids that they um, they don't put you on that pedestal that like you put your parents on? I definitely feel like it's different. Okay. I, I I definitely do. Like I my friends used to go to my mom for advice and they used to talk to her. But I didn't consider my mom to be the cool a cool mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I looked at her though like a person that a lot of people. Um, admired and respected you know she had she was like revered by a lot of people but not necessarily like a cool mom my kids like 
they want me to go on the field trips. Their friends come to our house. They they want me to be the chaperone um, for what I, you know, like they want me around and their friends want me around. So, um, but for me, it, it's more important that they want me around. Um, so like, you know, my, my 18 year old, she'll still hang out with me. Um, you know, she'll, she'll talk to me to a point, you know, they're still, I'm still her mother. So I think, you know, somewhat there are things that she's probably not comfortable saying, which is fine because you'll, you know, eventually you'll get there, especially if you are able to mother your children into adulthood, the role of parent child, it, it changes. So, you know, in, in the beginning, you're like a nurse, you're like a caregiver. Like it's a, it's like a 24 seven job, you know, as they grow, that changes. You, you move from being their sole source of everything to then, you know, instruction. And there's other people in their lives that help teachers, aunties, you know, mm-hmm. um, then, then you move on to the age where like my 18 year old is. And it's like, um, you're their advocate. You give them advice, you give them you know, direction, you're, you're kind of like the soft place for them to land as they navigate, but you have to trust that you did your job and let them kind of like fly. That's really hard. Really hard. For me, it's really hard. I'm a, I'm one of those parents <laughs> that's like a mother bear. I'm like, what? She wants to drive. What? You want to go out of town without me? <laughs> like, I don't say no, but it's very, very nerve wracking. <laughs> I have a question. Just stemming off of that, do you feel like that has to do with more so with the being like um like a single mom or do you feel like it's more of like society puts the role of motherhood on the mom so much and not so much on the father? Both. Um so that is important for for me to say. I was a single mom for I mean I recently um got married. Yay. I'm the man. Shout out to Husband. <laughs> so, so I have mothered my children, the 18-year-old her entire life without her father, the eight-year-old her entire life without her father. Um, my children have had a really good father figure type role models in their uncles and my my dad, their grandfather, and my parents' friends. So that there's something to be said about community because when my mother passed, her friend stepped up for us as a mother figure, and then in the absence of my child father, my my father, so their papa, his friends have, you know, adopted and, you know, been there for my children. Um, having said that, though, a law designed it to be a man and a woman for a reason. So do they have a void? Yes. I expect that they have a void and will have had that void. I recommend therapy. Um, therapy is maintenance for your mind, body soul emotions just like you go to the doctor for your teeth or when there's a broken bone there's not absolutely the stigma around therapy is stupid it's maintenance for your free brain like you don't expect to be an expert on how to set a broken bone like you're not going to go to google and be like okay i broke my arm let me fix it myself so why would you be that way about your mind it's a science all knowledge comes from a law there are experts in that area. Please utilize them. I knew as a mother, I could not possibly, even if I had their, like their fathers, I knew I couldn't give them everything that they need. 
because it's not designed that way, right? And so I think that part of being a parent is putting your children in the best place to be successful, even if it's not from you. And you shouldn't feel like everything has to come from you. Now, to the question of um, society or Islamically people putting the burden um, or responsibility on the mother, Islamically children are their father's responsibility. Full stop. If you don't want to breastfeed and your, your husband wants his child best breastfed, he better go find a wet nurse. A lot don't say you have to do that. Mm-hmm. So anything that I do or any single mother does or any married mother does for her children is considered charity. Your responsibility, number one, Allah created you to worship him. That's your, that's your job, sis, yeah. whether you know it or not. Your job is to worship Allah, not to mother your... It doesn't change when you have children. Your children can't come before your Lord. Allah knew all this. He knew all the things that were going to happen in our life, career, sickness, parent, spouse, whatever. Nothing comes before him. Then your responsibility is to your husband. Hello? So for all those women like, I ain't letting no man come between my child. If you are with the father of your child, that man absolutely comes before your child. The man was there before the children, right? Your, your responsibility is to a law. Then you have a responsibility to your husband. And your husband has a responsibility to you and your children. So it is the man's job to make sure his children are fed, clothed, nurtured, educated, whatever they need. That's his burden, right? So Allah, my theory is that Allah knew, of course, that the way he created women, we would do the most. We're going to do more, right? Mm-hmm. You give a woman something, she's going to multiply it. That's just our nature. I believe that is why Allah gave men more responsibility so that they didn't just run amok over us. Somebody had to check them, and the only person that could check them is their Lord, right? And so knowing that you you shouldn't just not, I mean, you shouldn't, you should do what's in your nature to do. And that's going to look different for a lot of women. I know, like for my cousins, they were closer to their dad than their mom. Um, their dad was very affectionate. He was very hands It still is. Very, they're older, of course, but, you know, he was very hands-on, affectionate, present. And they were a lot closer to him, even as small children, than they were with their mother. So the limiting beliefs thing I feel like it's, is a, is a uh, human being thing. It's not an attribute of Allah. We can't put limits on Allah. Allah knew I was going to be a crazy Muslim girl from Indianapolis, right? And he knew Fofo was going to be a crazy Arab girl from Morocco and Tunisia, okay? Absolutely. We all need to try to be like each other. I don't need to try to make her be like me. She don't need to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like when people try to put labels so strict on a thing or a person, it's because our minds are limited in the way we think. We create a box. Allah does not put us in a box. Allah's box is so vast, you wouldn't even know you was in a box if Allah (laughs) put you in the box. So I think that, you know, culture sometimes outweighs religion and common sense. I'm going to just say it. And if you are led by culture, then 
that's where you may find some of the difficulties in living your life. Um, Islam is easy. There's always a middle way and Allah forgives everything. So with that, then I think culturally, some people, what they say is that in the, when a child is first born, the mother is like going to take a lot more responsibility for them in their younger years. And then the father will come in in the later years. I just kind of wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. And then also, I've been seeing a lot of conversations about the difference between maternal and paternal love. Do you think there is a difference? Could you explain that difference? Yes, but not in the way that you're thinking. So um, <clears throat> innately, because the human being is growing inside of your body, <clears throat> you're going to naturally be connected to it. Like physiologically, you can't not feel a kick or a squirm, a squirm or whatever the case is. You can't, you can't separate that from yourself, right? Um, you are literally sharing food and fluids. And so there is a, there's definitely um, an organic and natural bond that a mother has with their child. Um, and I feel like fathers sometimes have to play catch up um, in that process. There is a chapter in that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, about fathers being jealous of their children. It absolutely 1000% happens. It's a thing. It's a real thing. Um, mm. But I feel like, you know, it depends on your partner. So these things can be mitigated. They can be worked out. Um, if the couple is cognizant of what is to come. So if you're very closed off during your pregnancy, if you don't, you know, include your husband, then yeah, it can be weird and awkward for him when the child is born. And it's like, okay, it went from this person growing in your belly to, oh, now we're here. Yeah. If the, the, your partner is, um, very hands on, um, speaking to your child as if they're a real person, you know, touching your belly, you know, very involved, Come, going to your doctor's appointments is very aware of the things that are going on with you and what's going on with their child, then I think, no, that could be false because I know some dads that are like super, du like my brother-in-law, he was like, don't nobody bear touch my daughter. Like she's new, she's new, new, and she belongs to me. Like he was very hands-on. He was, uh, you know, up when my, my sister was breastfeeding, like you, there's ways to include the, 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 uh, father that can make them feel a close connection. Um, I think though, like you said, sometimes culturally it's just expected for the woman to do it. And so we take on that responsibility and also it's kind of like autopilot for us, for some, for some. Now, then you'll have the women who have postpartum. You'll have the women who don't have a natural um, nurturing connection to their child. That doesn't mean you're broken. That doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. That's just your test. That's by design. And it happens. It's natural. It happens. And inshallah can be worked out. But I think that the, the, um, father's connection is one that has to be fostered. The mother's connection is one that is often organic. Mm. 
And then, of course, you know, there's always exceptions. So what are some ways then, I guess, like, what would be some, I don't, I don't know if this is the right question to ask you, but, like, in terms of maternal love, I think one of the ways I've thought of it or had it explained to me was that maternal love is, like, you know, like you're saying, a lot more organic, very nurturing, uh, you know, just providing food, whatever, whereas, like, the father comes in and is more of the authoritative figure. Would you say that's kind of a good way to explain the two and how they show love towards their kids? Or do you think it can be more than that? Because I feel like that definition is problematic. No, no, no. I think that's problematic as well. I mean, they can absolutely show love in in different ways. Like, so if you're a breastfeeding mom, right, you breastfeed the child and you let the father birth the child and put them to sleep. You know, Mm -hmm. you sometimes you have to remove yourself. And that might be hard for some women if you're, you know, um, overprotective or if you're not like if you can't let go easily let go but letting the the father and the child spend quality time it's 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 no different than if you meet somebody you want to marry and you foster and develop a relationship it's it's the same way except there's going to be a connection between the father and child because they share dna Mm -hmm. so even with you know there's been studies done with children who haven't who haven't ever met their parents and in an adulthood they recognize their family because Allah put something there there's something there and Mm -hmm. that's whatever that something is be it the DNA or just the innate knowing of your people um, that's what helps you to get over all these other barriers or you know hurdles if if they are that Mm -hmm. but no 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 I think that it's it's way more than just you know I provide and I just like in my household, my mom was a disciplinarian. Like she was the, she was the one who gave us correction. Um, that wasn't my dad's thing, but my, and my dad was the cook. Like he cooked 90% of our meals. He, he taught my mom how to cook. So that's why I say culture can sometimes, sometimes be problematic. Um, if it goes against your nature or if it goes against Islam, because there's no set, there's no set gender roles except for what Allah says is a gender role. Right. Like Allah says men have a degree over women and responsibility and protection. He ain't say y'all was smarter than us. He ain't mm. say you was my daddy. None of that. He said your <laughs> job to the microphone. <laughs> your job is to protect and provide. Yeah. Right? And in strength. I mean, he made men stronger than women. Physically stronger. He didn't say mentally stronger. He didn't say emotionally stronger. You know what I'm saying? So, and these are the things that I explained to like my, my nephew. I said, if Allah didn't want you to cry, he wouldn't have gave you tear ducts. You're mm. human. Yeah. Allah didn't say men only have two emotions, anger and pleasure or anger and happiness. He gave you all the emotions, just like he gave every human being. So yeah. that means there is no, nothing wrong in expressing that emotion. It's the same with being a parent. Like a lot of like, what about those those uh, families where the mother dies in, in childbirth, yeah. and all the children have is the dad. You know, so I think you know society will ascribe things to you um, for whatever agenda and reason they have. But um, just like I tell people, when you get married, it's you and your husband. You formulate your own culture, your own madhab in your household right your own way of living and your you don't have to do it like his parents you don't have to do it like your parents you can figure it out 
Same way with, with being a parent. You take the good and you leave the bad, but you consult your partner and you come together to do something that works for you guys. And that that's what's going to look different for everybody. Mm. I felt like that was a chutzpah. It was. That was good. Felt that. Let me tell you something. I used to be a chutzpah ghostwriter while y'all playing. Listen, <laughs> I was like, okay, come through. Um, and so I guess another one, just going back to now reflecting on y'all being mothers for some time, what are some struggles of motherhood that you think people don't really acknowledge as much or don't even realize is a struggle? Um, I feel like the breastfeeding one, that, that's a struggle because especially if you're a mother that if your body does not produce the hormone for you to breastfeed. And so I feel like culturally, there's like this pressure as soon as the kid comes out or like even in the hospital, they're like automatically latching the kid onto your breath. Okay. That puts on a lot of stress on the mom. Um, I feel like another one is that a lot of people don't like to talk about is miscarriage. So I know for me, I had a miscarriage between my two girls. And I remember um, when I went to St. Vincent's, the doctor that was there, she's like some 80 year old, and she was like, every woman has a miscarriage in her life. It is just depending on which stage it is. So, like, if you're, like, in the first three months or, like, the first month or something, you're just going to be like, oh, it's just my period. Um, so I feel like there's, like, this, I don't know what it is, it's taboo. Nobody wants to talk about miscarriages. And then I feel like even when you go, so I went to the hospital because I was like, I don't know what, I was, like, bleeding to death, basically. Oh. And so... After, like, the kid came out and they were like, oh, we need to run and see if it's a human. I was like, that's an insult, first of all. Clearly, you can tell. Um, and so even on your chart, they don't put it as a miscarriage. They put it as, um, I don't, it's called something, um, abortion. Isn't that mm-hmm. wild? So, like, the yeah. trauma of you even reading it on the thing, you're like, what do you mean it's an abortion? They're like, oh, it's just like a natural thing that happened. Mm-hmm. It's your body aborting it. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like a lot of people don't like to talk about that. Um, I don't know. I feel like those, well, are, those, the are, those are major. I, I would say I would add um, postpartum depression. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would. I would also add uh, body dysmorphia. I feel like mm-hmm. some of the things that we don't we don't prepare for, and that's why I say it. You should absolutely a thousand percent talk to your daughters about everything that you have experienced or that you think they will experience. Because um, let me just tell you, your your body was made to do amazing, phenomenal things, but it ain't gonna look the same after it does that, right? And even for the people who have bounce back, it's their body is still different, right? And so you should you should prepare for some of that. You should be aware of the signs of postpartum so that you can get it treated because it is treatable and it, you shouldn't be, you know, scorned or looked at like you're crazy because you're experiencing that. That's something that you absolutely 1000 percent cannot control. I think education is key. Um, most people don't know that when you're pregnant, your hormones literally your hormones and your fluids literally double. So when you're talking about controlling your emotions, emotions are fueled by hormones. If you one day have double the hormones in your body, and then as soon as you have your child, they drop. 
They literally drop. They leave with the child, right? There's going to be a fluctuation that you can't control, right? So these are things that I think, especially if you have a, your partner, those are things that they need to be aware of because these are things that are outside of your control. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't be made to feel no type of way. You shouldn't be feeling bad. You shouldn't be feeling funny. Nothing. Just feel what you feel because that's what's going to happen. Um, I agree about the miscarriage thing. It's so technically, not only the, the process that that miscarriage happens, the process that a law, you know, affords if you have a miscarriage, but, but the medical um, standpoint on miscarriage is it is an abortion, basically. Even the process by which they have to clean you out, you know, yep. when that occurs, DNC. is, yeah, DNC is the same process as an abortion. There's a, but, but I feel like the conversation around it is what's insensitive. The explanation for it is what is insensitive. I think that people just need to, to number one, educate themselves and then, you know, throw a level of compassion on there that you would want somebody to, to speak to you about, you know, your child. Because we know even for, you know, at whatever level it is, if you were pregnant and you lost a child, that child is a part, it's a, it's a being that a law created that was connected to you and is waiting for you. So, um, you know, nobody can tell you how you're supposed to feel about that. Um, but that's another reason why, you know, you can't, you have to be your own advocate, you and your family, you know, you advocate for yourself, your family advocates for you because these medical professionals are like on autopilot and a lot of them act robotically. Um, and they're trained to remove emotion from the thing, which I don't agree with because you're dealing with human beings, but that's, that's their training. So what were some things then like just looking back now? during your pregnancy or as you're raising your daughters, what are some things that you guys wish you would have done differently or, or knew to do differently? I think for me, I don't know. I think for me, I would say nothing, honestly. I just feel like the, the right of it was, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a unique experience as just being pregnant. You know what I mean? So I know for me in both experiences, the closer that you get to labor, the more anxious you are. So I just feel the only thing that I would change is maybe um, looking into like more home remedies, um, like lavender or something like that. Um, but I like get shout out to my mom. Like my mom was like, with that Moroccan home remedies, I was like, you did that. Hello. And I feel like that's why like a, a lot of my, um stress and like anxiety was not there because my mom was like literally in the room with me um as soon as I was like "Ooh, I feel like my water broke I'm like come on we're about to go bam she's the first one there so I personally for me I feel like it was a great journey altogether the only thing is I would say sisters pick the man wisely that's all I'm gonna say because it is very crucial when you find a partner that's going to be emotionally available for you because it's already like a your hormones are all over the place. And if you have someone that's not emotionally available, you sometimes tend to feel like, dang, is something wrong with me? Is it me? Or And so then you start pointing stuff on you and all that stuff. So that's the only thing that I would say. 
So that that's amazing. Like I I agree. Well, first of all, that thanks for saying the Islamically appropriate answer. I'ma say children can't control being given you right like my dad used to say this all the time like you didn't pick your parents and you didn't pick your children right yeah. and i feel like you can do your death now this is where do your due diligence do everything as close to um uh, pleasing to a law as you can when it comes to marriage and finding a partner because it 1000% does affect your experience so that part is not wrong at all. You having control over having a good partner, that's not, you don't, you literally don't. So in my experience, being a, a single parent and so many people, even married people, um, you can only control yourself in the choices that you make and the decisions that you make, right? Even if you have a, uh, even if you're in a married, you know, committed relationship, you're, you can't control your partner. You can't control any, any adult human being. You can barely control children, okay? Um, and they have to um, fear their Lord enough to want to do the right thing. In my experience, they did not, and so they were absent, right? But I took the standpoint, because everything happens for a reason, that my children were supposed to be here. So even though I didn't have the successful relationship, and even though they don't have the successful relationship with their father, and it... And it um, 1000% affected my experience of motherhood. Um, I, I can't honestly say that I regret it because my kids are here. Um, would it have been that much more sweeter and beautiful if it had been the way it's supposed to be? Well, of course. And I would wish, and I wouldn't wish my experience on anybody, but we just know realistically that that happened. And I feel like sometimes, like I used to carry a lot of guilt. Oh, this. Oh, see? This is a thing you should be careful about. You can't save your children from Allah's decree. You can't even save yourself from it. Mm. So having that mm. guilt because the other parent ain't there or because you did something wrong, forget about that. Let that shit go. Sorry, Sheikh Ahmed. Because <laughs> <laughs> my daddy know I'm the idiot. No. <laughs> you let that go. I had to put the S word on it because that's how strongly I feel. You don't feel guilty about your circumstance and your situation because it was a law allowed it. It was a part of your decree. If it wasn't a part of the decree, it wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. It would not have happened. And And sometimes we look at the bad things that happen to us just from the negative lens. But me, I try to find the good in everything. 
I would not be able to speak on such topics if I hadn't lived the life that I lived. I wouldn't be able to help the people that I've helped in my life if I hadn't went through the trials and tribulations. Because sometimes, whether you like it or not, experience is the best teacher. You can say that you understand, but you don't understand if you haven't been through it, right? Um, and and nobody wants to listen to somebody who doesn't have, um, who hasn't been battle tested. Like you can talk into your blue in the face about something that you've never done, and it's simply theory. And yeah. why should I believe you? Like, why should I trust you? You don't know. You don't really know, right? Um, but somebody who has been through the thing that you've been through, right? Then it takes on a, no, a whole nother meaning. Um, so that's what I try to look at when you have unfavorable situations that can happen to you. But to all the young girls, I would say, have very detailed and thorough conversations with your partner and your mate when it comes to um, parenthood you know um, because it, it is an amana and it's a very heavily weighted one and you don't want you don't want to inflict unnecessary trauma on your children if you don't have to absolutely and i feel like even having the conversation with your partner um for the single sisters of how many kids you want when do you want to have it do you want to have like the C-section? Do you want to have it vaginally? I just feel like people try to avoid these conversations. And then when they're put in, in the situation, they're like, oh, we're just going to wing it. You can't wing something like that. You know what I mean? Just ha- I don't understand why people can't have like an honest conversation. So, That's right. That's right. but, but you should, re- you should get, you should get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's okay. Where, Hello. That's where growth lies. You literally. Um, I think Will Smith said the the life that you want to live live is on the other side of fear. So fear is what stops people. And the unknown causes fear in some people, but you literally have to push past it. Um, and then you'll you'll look back and you'll be like, I ain't die die. Like I'm still here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you could think about the worst experience that you've ever had in your life, it's in the past, right? Which means you made it through that. Yeah. So if you keep that kind of mindset with everything, I'm talking about having difficult conversations, I'm talking about having kids, whatever the case may be, then you know that you'll be all right. If you can imagine or think about the worst thing that you've already been through in your life, you're literally through it. This too shall pass. So for both of y'all, too, it seems like the community really played a big part in raising y'all's kids in, in addition with you guys. So I guess like the phrase, it takes a village to like, raise children it seems like in america that's that village is um a village has been torn down has been broken down is not that apparent as much just given like you said if you're melanated and in these hospital systems they're not looking out for you being a working mom and like having to juggle scheduling with school etc etc so i guess like what are some um what are some things that you've learned to get through that period of your life of where you're, you know, you're trying to balance raising your kid and like also having a village and making sure they have role models, et cetera. I know for me, the thing that got me through everything was knowing that Allah has my back. I know for a lot of people, they might be like, Oh, this is like your typical, literally going through the divorce, being pregnant. Ooh, when I tell you, I don't even know sometimes how I got out of it. 
but I knew that I would not be able to get through it if I did not have that 100% decree that Allah got my back. Because regardless of the situation, I know that everything happens for a reason. This is the journey that Allah wants for us. And so if you don't have that 100% conviction that Allah is going to have your back, you're not going to get through nothing. And in my mind, I was like, for example, when I was pregnant and I was like, dang, I just feel like it's just me inside of me. I don't know what is going on in life. I always noticed that the only person or the only the only one that was always there was Allah. So I was just like, well, I don't need to sit here and like worry about so-and-so because people are always going to talk. People are always going to push judgment. People are always going to be critical, whatever the situation is. But the only one that's not is Allah. So for me, that's what got me through the difficulty. I mean, people were like dogging me out. I mean, alhamdulillah. And I feel like 100% also surrounding yourself with people that genuinely want happiness for you is also what gets you out of the storm that you're in. That part. That's literally it. You, I think Muslims a lot of times are very performative. We look like we're Muslims, you know, in public, you know, you're, you can sound like you're Muslim if you, you know, if you can recite Quran very well or, you know, you know the terminology, but we're very performative. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I take from my non-Muslim brethren is to literally let Allah take the wheel. <laughs> she said it perfectly. Like you have to, and the relationship that you have with Allah is the one that He will manifest for you. Period. So that's a huge thing is knowing that Allah doesn't like you know that that concept that the Lord is vengeful or some dumb crap. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. Like Allah does not. Um, he loves us more than, than our parents love us, right? So he 1000% has your back. That's one. Being flexible. Like I was very much caught in the matrix of, you know, go to school, get married, have kids. Like, like things were supposed to have an order, right? But be flexible and be easy on yourself because there is no, there is no perfect situation like you determine what your flow is what your what your path is i mean allah has the decree but i'm saying no you don't you don't have to fit into the the perfect perfect yes that somebody else has if it takes you 15 years to graduate from college that's perfectly that's your experience like it it doesn't have to look like anybody else Mm -hmm. and then be intentional about finding your community Pray for your community. Pray for a community. Um, what I learned later in my life, which, you know, uh, I would say for young people, uh, gravitate towards this sooner. Whatever you, whatever is outside of your control is not outside of a law. So whatever you can't control, I hit the, whatever I can't control, I hit the prayer rug over, like literally. If somebody's bothering me and I can't get them to stop, I ask the Lord to handle his creation. You know what I'm saying? If I'm sick and I can't find a remedy, I ask the Lord to give me the remedy. You know what I'm saying? If I if there's something that my child needs and I can't provide it, their Lord can. You know, so get comfortable relying on a law, going to a law for everything you need. But, you know, I knew being a single parent that I was going to need help. So 
at first I was like trying to be superwoman. I used to work three and like literally at one point I had four jobs. Yeah. It's stupid. And my <laughs> daughter told me it's just dumb. Cause the thing is I had money, bro. I had money. Like I had money to pay our bills. I was paying other people's bills. I was helping a whole bunch of people out, but I missed every spelling bee, everything that was important. I was never there. Right. My oldest daughter will tell you. She told me she was like, I don't care if we have to live with Papa. She was like, I don't ever want you to work multiple jobs again. So being an entrepreneur allowed me to be the type of mother that I wanted to be and the type of mother that my children wanted me to be for them. Mm. So that's what I say about being being flexible. Like, you know, school is great. I ain't knocking it. It's not for me, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, working a nine to five. Great. It's not for me. It didn't work for my family structure. And so. I had to get over in my own mind that stigma of, oh, it has to be this way. No, it has to be whatever the way that a law says is okay for you. Okay. And listen to your kids, too. Listen to your, oh, my goodness. Listen to your kids. Apologize to your children. Mm-hmm. Because a law can send clarity through any medium that he chooses. If you look at a lot of the history of the Sahabi, they were young when they when they had knowledge it was a different time but they were scholarly at like very young ages um the thing about children they don't have the trauma they don't have the the uh, stigma Mm -hmm. they are able they 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 are able to think freely i'm gonna tell you this story so i'm big on manifestation because that's what a law says not because you know they hijack Islam and they and they monetize it. Yeah. Um, but Allah says to think positively. To, it's Islamic for you. It's un-Islamic for you to lose hope. Like hope is an Islamic attribute, right? Allah says whatever relationship that you envision with from me is the one I will bring forth, you know, to you. That's manifestation. So I've always we do vision boards. Me and my kids. Um, the youngest one. Let me tell you about her little spooky self. (laughs) She wanted a horse, right? And my older daughter kept telling her, stop asking for a horse. It's too expensive for mom. At the time we was living in an apartment, she was like, where would we put the horse? She was like, you park the horse where you park the car. Like, this is little. She was like, why can't I have a horse? And my oldest was like, stop asking mom for a horse. This little girl comes to her sister and says, you you prayed for me and Allah gave you me. So why can't I ask for a horse? It's like Allah can whatever he wants to give me. Mm. And when I tell you that this girl makes a vision board, and when she makes a vision board, she don't even be like the idea is that it's visible somewhere where you, you know it's a reminder for you, you know, goal, something that, you know, triggers you to, to keep going towards your goals and your this little girl's vision board be in her room. She don't do nothing in her room except sleep. That's it. She like the door be closed. When I tell you that ninety percent of every vision board that she's gotten, she's gotten the things on it. More importantly, I'm the one that's buying the things. I'm not looking at her vision board. But when I tell you that she one thousand percent believes that whatever she asks for and she wants, Allah's gonna give her, and she be getting it. That's mm. how we should be. I said, you need to pray for mom to be a millionaire. Because <laughs> okay, pray for all of us. Pray for all of us. 
I always be saying that too. I'll be like, some people got, they got that special do I? But we need to be childlike. Yeah. That's the thing. They have no limit. They don't put limitations on a law. Mm-hmm. Right. They haven't learned that yet. So we, you need to be childlike in your reliance and belief in your Lord. And then, you know, use your wisdom and, and experiences for everything else. <laughs> when you have that mindset as a child and you manifest that into your adult, mm, it's like the world is endless. Okay. Well, y'all really were dropping so many gems today. Um, my last question to you guys are what are some resources then that people can use to prepare, whether it's for pregnancy, to prepare for their relationships, for, to prepare for actual motherhood and raising their kids? Um, do y'all have any books, people to follow? Because I right. know you guys are dropping some throughout the throughout the show. Villa Jonti is the big one, is yeah. what I would say. Villa Jonti, shout out to her. Because yeah. I'd be like, woo, yes, she, sister. She's a great resource. If you're looking for somebody who can hit on all cylinders, meaning, you know, uh, womanhood, uh, relationships. Sex education. Sex. And children. Hands down. I agree with that. One thousand percent. Um, if you're the reading type, what to expect when you're expecting. And then they have what to expect, like years one through three or something. That whole series, that's a, that's a great resource. Talk to your elders. Mm. One thing I regret was talking to my mom about how she felt about being a mother before she passed. Um, but if you don't have your mom, talk to somebody else's mom. Mm. Talk to your aunties. Talk to your dad. Ask your father how he felt about being a father. Because quite as it's kept, men are terrified about having kids for whatever reasons they are. A, a bunch of different ones. They fear they fear failure. They fear responsibility. All kinds of things. They feel like, oh, the kids too. Like my youngest daughter, her father is six four. He could literally hold her in one hand when she was born. And he was terrified he was going to break. So he didn't want to change a diaper, not because he didn't want to help me. Because he was like, what if I hurt her? Like, there's, they have their own set of experiences and concerns and, you know. So I would say talk to as many people as you can about your experience. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to seek the advice and the nasiha from um, people. Thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about your experiences. Um, this has just been a really eye opener for me because I'm someone that was team no kids even though I do love kids but you know, guys are making me feel like 5% more towards getting, having children so that's not 5% <laughs> don't, don't be listen. SPK don't SPK not, not yet it's too soon right and I was going to say even if you have that mindset if Allah decrees it for you it's going to happen I know someone that was on two birth controls okay yeah. and she was four and a half months pregnant so I'm just saying you can sit there and use the means, whatever. If Allah has it written for you, he has it written for you. And and one so. of the ways, well, there's two ways that Allah says you increase your risk. One of them is by having children. Yep. Yeah, so you want to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Don't be sure, though. You, listen, you have a good village, so you'll be, you, you'll be straight. You're good. Ferdos was actually telling me this um, hadith about if for women that do suffer from miscarriages, she was saying that the you know after we pass and then the day of judgment that the children are gonna pull their mothers back to heaven through using the umbilical cord. And I was like, they wait for you at the gate. That's okay, it. hello. That's your ticket. So literally, 
You in there, like swimwear. <laughs> Period. You in there, like swimwear. Okay. All right, let's wrap it up, y'all. Thank you again, and we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.